It is uh, good to be here with you today. I believe we have uh, some special missions guests with us this morning. I, I think Kayla Nielsen is here. Kayla, if you are here, would you stand up just for a moment? Um, would you join me in welcoming Kayla this morning? <laughs> Kayla. Kayla and Jared Nielsen are uh, our supported missionaries. They have served in China. Now they're working with refugees in Dallas, Texas, uh, sharing the gospel with many people who have not had an opportunity to hear it yet. And as I was thinking about Kayla uh, and her being with us this morning, just reflecting on the fact that Kayla was part of our youth ministry some years ago, I believe, when she was in high school, and um, I started thinking about the number of students who are now out of high school who are involved in missions around the world. I thought about Evan Dietrich, who has just returned from a uh, better part of a year uh, in world missions, Pebbles Forbus as well, Brianne Shapira, who uh, just returned from almost a year with crew in Prague, uh, Anna Smith, who was on the stage a few weeks ago playing the guitar and singing, who grew up here in Kids Rock and Youth and is now with Youth with a Mission. My own daughter, Anna Nida, uh, with Crew, and then Kayla and uh, Jared. And as I was thinking about that, let me ask you just to look at the, the front of your bulletin for a moment. Under the little River Oaks logo at the bottom, you see a statement, building followers of Jesus who are sent to reach others. We call this our mission statement. And part of our vision, Vision 2025, is that we will see an increasing number of people embracing this call to take the gospel of Jesus, perhaps to some other country of the world, but maybe just to our own spheres of influence here, where we work, where we serve, our neighborhood, because we believe that spiritual growth should lead to an outreach-focused life. And I really rejoice that we have seen that happening with so many of our, our young adults in the church. Reminds me also that our middle schoolers have returned from a week of um, serving uh, outside of Shelby, North Carolina, uh, an underprivileged community. And we are grateful to have uh, you guys. If any middle schoolers made it to our earlier service day, we're grateful. I see a hand here there. Grateful to have you all with us uh, in this earlier service this morning. A couple weeks ago, I was listening to my favorite news podcast, The World and Everything in It, and a true story was shared about a woman in uh, South Georgia who ordered a birthday cake for her daughter's birthday. And her daughter uh, grew up loving the Disney character Moana. And so her mom called in an order for a, a birthday cake with Moana. And she expected to get the birthday cake, much like what you see on the screen. Uh, someone her daughter, you know, just really loved so much as she was growing up. They opened the cake on her birthday, however, and remember, this is South Georgia, and when you say Moana, <laughs> what she got was a marijuana birthday cake, <laughs> something that I'm sure did not mean a lot to her little girl when she was growing up. The picture comes from her daughter's Facebook post where she noted it really was a very good cake after all. <laughs> they did get, uh, the baker was good enough, a good laugh out of it and, and an additional free real Moana cake as well. But it points to the understanding, I think, of words 
and understanding them correctly. There may be few words as misunderstood in our culture, in our world today, as the word faith. I did a quick search of what some well-known people have said about faith recently, and here's just a little sampling of those. You'll see them on the screen, uh, what people had to say about faith, that it means, for example, and you'll see this on the screen, believe in yourself. Uh, and I'm, these are well-known people. I'm not going to put their names here because I am taking their words out of context. Uh, believe in yourself and the rest will fall into place. You must not lose faith in humanity. Have faith that love is an unstoppable force. And uh, there's a broad spectrum of understanding of what the word faith means. But our whole sermon series during July and August is about faith. In fact, the title of this series of messages based on the book of James is True Faith Is. So what does James mean when he says faith? Well, I think uh, we can look back to the message that Pastor Andrew gave last week. In James chapter 2 and verse 1, James begins the chapter saying, My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we're talking about faith in this series of messages, what James is talking about as he talks about faith is the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He also refers to this faith as the faith that saves. So when we talk about faith as we will this morning, we're talking about the faith in our, our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal salvation for, an, for the person who places faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we mean by that. And perhaps the best um, explanation of saving faith is given us by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans. Uh, and I'd like to look at just a few verses, several verses from Romans 3, 21 to 26, that, that really lays out about as clearly as you can lay it out, an understanding of what salvation by grace through faith really means. Uh, this is the heart of Christian theology of salvation given to us by the Apostle Paul. He writes, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. And when he says that, he's referring to the fact that no distinction between Jews or, or Gentiles, even Gentiles who do not have the law, for there's no distinction for all, all people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, and to be justified means to be declared righteous, forgiven by God, are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Propitiation has to do with with satisfying the wrath of, of God, removing the wrath of God toward our sins uh, from us, letting that judgment fall on Christ. 
whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. <coughs> Excuse me. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Excuse me. So this is what we mean when we talk about faith this morning. The faith that saves. Faith that Jesus Christ, in his dying on the cross, bore the judgment for our sins, and through no law-keeping, legalism, no religious works of our own, merely by faith we embrace what he has done, we are saved. As Paul would write later, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So... James is teaching us about true saving faith. When he talks about the faith in Jesus Christ, this is what he's talking about. The faith that lays hold of the fact that Jesus died in our place on the cross. By this faith in him we are saved. Now, in the teaching this morning, in James 2, 14 to 26, James gives us a very simple, logical outline about the faith that saves, the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Maddie read it for us just a moment ago, and he makes two key points. Each point has two examples. The first point is this. A mere said faith is a dead faith. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And he goes on to say, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. A mere said faith, merely saying I've got faith in Jesus, is a dead faith. And then he gives us two examples of this. The first is the example of insincere concern. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Let's say, for example, you're hosting a small group Bible study in your home. And a a, a young couple has begun begun coming to your group. You don't know them well. You know they have two or three young children. And uh, they're really quiet in the group, but at the end of your Bible study, you're, you're having some time of prayer, and kind of sheepishly, uh, one of them says, well, we need prayer. Um, our family needs prayer. Uh, we're, we've run out of food. Um, as you know, we got three young kids. There's, there's just no food left in our, our house. We're waiting for food stamps. They haven't come yet. Our electricity was cut off a couple weeks ago, and it's supposed to be really cold tonight, and we're, we're kind of desperate. We just need your prayers. And then you as the group leader say, well, let's go to God in prayer right now. God, we know you do miracles, 
And we just ask that you stretch out your hand and do a miracle and provide food for this family. Amen. Now, let's have some refreshments, and we'll see you all next week. What good is that? That's what James is saying. What good is that? The example of insincere concern. The second example he gives of the fact that a mere said faith is a dead faith is the belief of demons. He writes, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now think about that for a minute. No demon is an atheist. There is not one demon, not Satan himself nor any of his his legions of demons that does not believe in God. Demons know that Jesus Christ came, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead. The question James is raising is, is your faith better than the faith of demons? They know the historical facts. What James is saying is that mere intellectual assent, mere intellectual agreement with these facts of history are not enough. Those do not equate with saving faith. Recently, I had a conversation with a man who I think had this kind of dead faith. <laughs> Trying to talk to him about his faith, and, and he said, yes, I'm, I'm really glad that I am a Christian, and, uh, and, and know and believe that, you know, Jesus Christ was a real person. Yet there was no evidence whatsoever of the lordship of Jesus in his life. James says, even the demons believe. It's good that you believe in God. Great. Even the demons believe that and shudder. They tremble. They know God is real. They know their judgment is coming. They shudder. They tremble. They know Christ will return. And when he does, their doom is sealed. Two examples. A mere said faith is a dead faith. And then James makes his second key point. That is that true faith has works. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. That is, faith can be demonstrated, seen, shown by works. And he gives two examples here. The first is the example of Abraham. Abraham, whose name is almost synonymous with faith in Scripture, And he says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. What he's saying is that real faith has fruit. Real faith has evidence. Abraham's faith in God led him to to obey God, even when he said, put Isaac on the altar. It was because of his faith in God. He knew God could even raise the dead that he was willing to take that step. His faith was demonstrated by his actions. Now, some of you are real familiar with with, uh, the Bible know that this passage raises a really big question. And we'll come back to that in, in just a moment. But it's the first of two examples James gives that true faith has works. 
the example of Abraham, and then the example of Rahab. Um, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So he's using another Old Testament example to show that genuine faith in God is expressed in genuine actions, works that demonstrate the reality of the faith. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho when Joshua sent spies there because she believed in the true and living God, the God that the Israelites believed in, she hid the spies and uh, protected them and then came to live among the Israelites and is actually listed in the genealogy of Christ. The point is that her faith was expressed in her actions. So what's James saying? Saying a mere said faith. It's like the faith of demons, or the knowledge, we should say, not genuine faith of demons. A mere said faith is a dead faith. And true faith has works or deeds or fruits that accompany it. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, a moment ago that those, those words James wrote in James 2 about Abraham um, raised some questions for some. And I want to take a moment to, to look at that because um, we really have to address what might appear to be one of the most glaring contradictions in the New Testament. And it's not a glaring uh, apparent contradiction that's about an insignificant matter. It's about the most significant matter. It's about the nature of saving faith. And here's what I mean. The question is this, does James contradict the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul, in writing the book of Romans, spent a lot of time explaining saving faith and what it is. In Romans 4, he wrote these words. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Quote, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Quotes from the Old Testament. Now let's look at what James just said in our passage this morning. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture is fulfilled that says, quote, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. James and Paul each quote the same Old Testament verse, and it seems that James is saying Abraham was justified by works, and Paul is saying Abraham was justified by faith apart from works. It seems like a glaring contradiction in the New Testament about a most important uh, matter. So how do we resolve that? Well, always, always in interpreting Scripture, the context is key. The setting is key. If you were going to a Bible school and your textbooks were the books of the New Testament, for your course in theology, uh, you would almost certainly use 
the book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul. For your course in ethics, you would almost certainly use the book of James, written by James. In, in Romans chapter 4, Paul is making the point that a person is justified apart from the works of the law. If we were to read Romans chapter 3 and chapter 4, we would see he's just laying out this case that a person is not justified by the capital L, the law, the Old Testament law, and uh, that God's salvation is not for the Jews only, but also for the Gentiles who didn't even have the law. James is stressing that Abraham's works showed his faith to be genuine. That's why it says Abraham's faith was completed by his works. It was shown to be complete, real, genuine. Bible commentator Kent Hughes writes, Paul's teaching about faith and works focuses on the time before conversion. James' focus is after conversion. It might help to look at this in the form of a, a little chart. And I want to credit the, the, uh, Daniel Doriani, uh, who wrote the uh, Reformed Deposit Expository Commentary on James, an EPC pastor, for this little chart. And what he's showing in the chart is four different ways that, that people have thought about how one gets salvation over the years. And the first way is simply by our works, our deeds. This is what perhaps the majority of people in the world think. Uh, if God's real, the way into heaven, his heaven is enough good works. It's like he has a big set of scales. And if your good deeds tip the scales, you're in with God. If your bad deeds tip the scales, you're out. Your works determine your salvation. The Apostle Paul is writing against this. There's also the view that faith, faith in Jesus Christ, is necessary, but not enough. It has to be supplemented by works for salvation to be genuine. In writing to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul addressed this because there were people coming into the church teaching that, yeah, it's good to believe in Jesus, that's necessary and important, but you've also got to be circumcised. You've also got to keep these certain laws. And the Apostle Paul is very clear in, in condemning that as a detraction from salvation by grace through faith. Some of the verses we quote in our church more than any others are found in Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. So the Apostle Paul is writing against these, these two beliefs. There's a third belief that many have <clears throat> that, that might be depicted this way. Just faith leading to salvation and, and, and out to the side of salvation in parentheses you might put no works, no works whatsoever. This is the idea that someone might say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I prayed, prayed the sinner's prayer one time and so I'm good. I checked the box. Um, but yeah, um, I I know I'm committing adultery. I know I get drunk 
several nights a week. I know I do what I want with my money. Yeah, it's, it's, it's no big deal that I, uh, you know, look at pornography all the time. No big deal. But I prayed the prayer. I'm safe. I'm Christian. James is condemning this. He's addressing this said faith, this empty faith that is not shown in any evidence whatsoever. Jesus himself said, many will come to me on that day saying, Lord, call him Lord. We did stuff for you. And Jesus said, I, I never knew you. Elsewhere, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? There are people who think he is their Lord, but in reality, he is not. The final one is the one with which I think both James and Paul agree. By grace, you're saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one should boast. But what does the next verse say? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. That is, when salvation is real and genuine, it begins to be shown in evidence of good works. The Apostle Paul is arguing against one and two of false works salvation James is arguing against number three, an insincere dead faith. You know, these ideas really came to light in the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. And, and probably the, the two names most associated with that movement in history are, are Martin Luther and the theologian of the Reformation theology, John Calvin. And, and here's what Martin Luther said. He who wants to be a true Christian must truly be a believer. It's belief. It's faith. But he does not truly believe if works of love do not follow his faith. That salvation is shown in works of love. And John Calvin, I, th I think David uh, Holcomb quoted this in his introduction to this study. We're saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. There's fruit that accompanies it. So, James is saying, a mere said faith is dead faith. True faith is expressed in works. This is, this is a heavy topic. This is a really, really, really important topic. And... Um, the next thing I have in the outline is to give some examples of people in the New Testament who came to faith and show how their faith was lived out. But I feel like I'd like to just stop for a moment. And um, if you have a question about this topic, and I don't mean to imply in any way that I think I can address every question of this. I know I can't. But if you've got a question, as it concerns faith, as it relates to salvation... I want you to have the opportunity to, to ask a question. And I do this with some fear and trembling because there's no telling what kind of question we might have. But we're, we're further along. We've got more, a little more time than I thought we'd have this morning. And um, do we have that text 
number if they wanted to text in a question that could show on the screen. The other option, Andrew, could you help me with something here, holding this microphone? Uh, this might be one of the bigger mistakes I've ever made since I've <laughs> been here, but um, if you want to text a question to a number you'll see on a screen, and let's keep it to this subject um, <laughs> of faith, um, we have time to do that this morning, but if that number doesn't appear in the next moment, you in your comfortable doing this, you can raise a hand and Andrew will bring the mic around. And if it's a really difficult question, Andrew will go ahead and answer it himself. <laughs> All right. Now, while we're, we're waiting for that, you raise your hand and we'll, we'll, we'll look for you. I'll look for you if you do want to ask some question about this. Um, but as we're, or you can text one in if that number shows up in a, in a moment. Faith by which we're saved. Go ahead and use the microphone. Is that what you're saying? Oh, it's behind me. Oh, oh, great. Oh, well, not so great. I'm looking at that screen up there. Okay, the number's back there. Well, if you want to text in a question, go ahead and <laughs> Brett will let me know if it is there because I haven't seen any hands raised. While we're waiting on that, I want to give you just a few examples of people in the Gospels that came to faith in Jesus and show how um, there was fruit to their faith. The first one is the Samaritan woman. Um, it's found in John chapter 4. Jesus encountered this Samaritan woman at the well, and uh, he engaged in conversation with her. And the evidence of her faith is shown in that chapter. She goes back and begins telling everybody in her village, witnessing there's fruit to her faith. And the fruit of her faith was that she went back to tell others. Another example in the Gospel of John is the man who was born blind. This man um, was healed by Jesus, and the religious people began rejecting him for his faith. But his faith was shown in the fact that he was willing to suffer rejection for the sake of Jesus. And it was also shown in the fact that he worshipped Jesus. A third example is Zacchaeus, found in Luke chapter 19. Uh, Jesus encounters this man, Zacchaeus, comes to his house for dinner, and Zacchaeus is believing in Jesus, and he says, Lord, uh, I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. If I, I've cheated anybody, I'm going to restore it fourfold. So his, the fruit of his faith is being shown in his repentance, a new attitude toward money. This idol comes down and... He's, uh, he's got a new attitude toward um, money. Now let me pause there again for a moment. Um, I haven't seen any hands up or questions texted to the screen. All right. Give you another chance while he's taking the microphone back there. Anyone have a, a hand raised question? I'm going to read a question for you, okay. David. Okay, all right. The, the question is, how do you witness to friends who believe once saved, always saved? Well, <laughs> first of all, I think the, the 
question gets at a, a bigger question. Uh, if a person is once saved, are they always saved? I mean, that's really the, the root of the question, right? Because if your friend truly is saved, um, can they lose their salvation? If a person is once saved, always saved, you don't need to witness to them because they are saved. This is, this is a huge question amongst Christians, and I expect we would be divided in this room on our opinions. Um, the very last verses of the book of James read this way. My brothers, if someone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So let, let's start with the real, the real big question. Can a person who is genuinely, I mean genuinely saved, whose faith is genuine, can that person lose their salvation? Let me, let me say this first of all. Um, as a part of the Reformed theological tradition ordained in the EPC, my answer is supposed to be uh, right away, I believe in the perseverance of the saints. That is, if you're truly, genuinely saved, uh, you, are, you are saved. But I want to acknowledge the, the challenge of this issue because there is scripture that you could support each side of this. The verses I just read from James, for example, if someone wanders from the faith, the Apostle Paul had companions who had deserted him, and it reads in some of his letters like people had departed from the faith. There are a number of scriptures you could use to support that view. But I'll, I'll tell you just where I personally fall on this, this spectrum of belief. I go to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And two times in that passage, the Apostle Paul says, You who were dead, he made alive. The King James Version says, he quickened. In other words, before we do Christ, spiritually, our condition was dead. And he made us alive. The Bible says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. It's by the Holy Spirit that the human spirit is regenerated, made alive. Jesus called it being born again or born from above. And at that time, the Holy Spirit is joined with the human spirit and regenerates that human spirit. And you hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sin. And that's the passage where Paul goes on to say, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works. So, so here's, here's what I have to reason out in my mind. Nothing I did earned my salvation. I was spiritually dead. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. I couldn't even generate my own faith. The gift of God. And he, he, he brought me to life. If my good works didn't get me into his family, 
Can my lack of good works or my bad works get me out of his family? Who am I really trusting for my salvation? Am I trusting my ability now to, to be good enough? So that's why I'm, I'm on this side, of, this side that if you've truly, genuinely been regenerated, come to faith in Christ, that you will remain saved. Jesus said, all the Father gives me will come to me, and him who comes to me I will in no way cast out. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So I see those who are truly saved as being held securely in the Father's hand. I do believe, however, there are lots and lots and lots and lots of counterfeit salvations. People who think they're saved and are not. And I suspect your friend may fall in this category. James is challenging this type of person. Person who says, oh yeah, I, I, I had that experience. I prayed that prayer. I checked that off the box. But, but there's no reality. There's no fruit. There's no evidence. Your friend may be like the one who Jesus warns about in Matthew chapter 7. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, we did this, we did that. He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. It's going to be a terrifying thing for many people. And James is issuing this warning. So so I would say this. How do you witness to to a friend who... I'm going to rephrase your question. How do you witness to a friend who thinks they're saved but they're not? or who thinks they're saved and there's not a hint of evidence. It's much like the man I witnessed to not long ago that I referenced earlier who said, yeah, I'm a Christian, I have these facts, and had the the faith of demons. Intellectual assent is not saving faith. Question I would ask your friend, and I'd probably go to a passage like this in James, but I I would say, Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? The Apostle Paul said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Those are not empty words. In Paul's day, to confess Jesus as your Lord might have cost you your life. So I would would want to point my friend to, have you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Is your faith securely in him? Do you love him? If you love him, you'll follow him. So my guess would be that your friend has a less than genuine counterfeit faith. And I would approach the friend much like James is approaching people with his warning here. And saying, can that faith save him? And I suspect that is the case with that, with that friend. You have another one, Andrew? Can true faith have time periods of being dead in works? Excellent question. And I'm really glad that question was asked. This is my opinion. I think the answer is definitely yes. I mean, frankly, since giving my life to the Lord in college... I went through seasons of doubt and struggle and little to no fruit and more fruit. And that's a really, I'm glad that question was asked. It's really important. Christian growth is not a straight line by any means. For many of us, our, our sanctification that occurs 
after our salvation, continues after our salvation, is very up and down for many of us. Many of us go through times of great spiritual dryness, weeks where we don't sense the presence of God, feel his nearness in prayer. We read the Bible. It seems like an empty book. Many, many well-known Christian leaders in history that write about the experiences have gone through dark valleys, valleys of depression. Uh, so I'm glad you asked that question. That's a reality. And, and that's one reason I'm glad we can believe that having genuinely embraced the saving lordship of Jesus, we can trust he holds us in his hands. Because we go through those times. I've known dear, strong Christians who went through years with dementia and Alzheimer's, who went through terrible depression, some who have even taken their lives because their depression was so bad. But I believe where faith is genuine, yes, you can go through times where they're not works evident, where there may be depression, where you may really struggle. And um, I think, you know, just reading the writings of, of Christian leaders, many have gone through that. Thank you for asking that, Bob. That was an important question to ask. Is that it? Here's a, a question that came in twice. Uh, the, the first question goes like this. Is there a difference in someone that accepts Christ in the 11th hour of their lives than those who have lived by faith most of their lives? And the other person phrased it like this, how do you handle deathbed conversions? That is a, that's a really good question. Um, because in a case like that, we would often say there's no fruit following. There's one deathbed conversion in the, in the Bible, by the way, and it's the thief on the cross with Jesus. And so some would point to that and say, there's, there's no fruit. I, I would say there's a hint of fruit in the thief on the cross. I don't think, and I don't remember if I can quote this right. Um, someone once said there, that case is in the Bible so that no one may despair. But there's only one such case in the Bible, the deathbed confession, that no one may presume. That is, no one may say, I'm going to live like I want to and make a deathbed confession. Most people die the way they live, so don't count on that. Um, the thief on the cross, you know, the, the other thief on the cross with Jesus was, was mocking. This man seemed to come to some sense of godly fear in his final hours when he uh, says to the other thief, you know, we're here justly. This man's done nothing wrong. And then says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So there is seen in this man the, some genuineness of, of, of his faith and fruit. And I'm glad that's, that's in the Bible because it does give encouragement. I, I had the opportunity many years ago in a hospital to pray with someone a sinner's prayer who was really at the door of death and died that night, I think, and wasn't someone I knew, and I didn't know their family, and I thought, well, you know, there may be people in their family that have prayed for him forever that will never know about this. There's, there's no telling what God may do in a person's soul in those final hours. That's why I always tell people, if you've prayed for a family member who, who you never saw evidence of faith, 
at least hold on to the hope that God uses your prayers, he treasures your prayers, trust what he may do in that final hour. So is there a difference in someone who come to faith early and lives their life for the Lord? You know, Jesus told a parable about that. If you've ever read through Jesus' parables about workers in the vineyard and the ones that came at the very last got the same pay as the ones who worked all day. And, and Jesus made the point that God can do what he wants to do with his, his grace. So um, they're equally saved. They're equally saved. The person who walked with Jesus all their lives and served him and the person at the end. The question we might have is, is there a difference in rewards in heaven for those who made sacrifices throughout life? And I would say the answer to that is perhaps. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talks about varying rewards in, in heaven. So I do think deathbed conversion is a reality. The thief on the cross is the example in Scripture, but it's the only example in Scripture. And so I wouldn't want to presume in any way. I'm not sure I answered that well enough, but we are, we're, we're really out of time now. So I um, guess we should pray, right? So we end. Father, thank you for your spirit among us and I pray for any who have any confusion about this that you would bring your light your illumination and above all Lord if anyone is here this morning whose faith is not genuine whose faith is mere intellectual assent would you bring that person to embracing the saving lordship of Jesus Christ this morning to say Lord I want you to be my savior and Lord I receive the fullness of your salvation. Seal that decision in my life. Would you do that work? And would you build us on our faith, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.